0: We've been going through a lot here as a nation of late. Sometimes it's just, it's so easy to lose perspective. Now, I grew up, I was born in 1953. One of the baby boomers. And in my earliest days... As a child, I remember hearing so much about World War II and those within our immediate family that had served, and, and they were all over the place, from uh, Europe all the way through the Pacific, which had large families back in those days, and so there was many involved. And all those stories always captivated me as a young man. And not only that, and I want to say this too. We honor all those that have fought and died to keep us free. But there's been a whole lot of mothers, fathers, husbands and wives that stayed at home and supported those men and women who went through unimaginable trauma in their own life through it all. And I remember so many stories that I heard as a young man about the Great Depression, even before World War II, leading up to it. And I think I can safely say we think we're suffering now, but we haven't seen anything like that. And so we can thank God for that. I'm not trying to minimize, but... We need to keep everything in perspective. I don't know if uh, you've ever done this i every now and then I get interested in uh, researching the family tree, all four branches back as far as we can go, and my daughter and I, in particular some of the other cousins, got interested in this uh, a year or so ago and. We actually visited Appomattox Courthouse that summer. I don't know, it was last summer or the one before. Didn't know it until sometime later, researching our family tree. I had an immediate ancestor that was at Appomattox. And the Union forces. I don't know if he was there immediately, he wasn't very high rank, so uh but he was in the battles leading up to that. And I thought, well wow, that's that's cool. I kept Digging and digging, and lo and behold, a few weeks later, come to discover I had another immediate ancestor that was at Appomattox, only he was wearing gray. We need to remember what we owe both sides of that conflict, because Listen, there was really no concept of a federal union up till then. People fought because it was their homeland, if nothing else. I'm not saying everybody's motives were pure, and and I certainly uh, applaud the fact that we rid ourselves of slavery in this country. But there's a legacy of good men and women on both sides. And uh in my case, we lived in a border state that became, well, it separated from Virginia and went with the Union, but you wouldn't know it from the population. They were, they were split, obviously. Uh, but no, nobody owned slaves where we came from. You just, there was no, uh, no real slave ownership in Appalachia. There was just people fighting for what they conceived was their home. We, we all are flawed. We are sinners from the moment we're born. We all do wrong, we mistreat one another. But God does a work in hearts of people of all races and of all backgrounds. It's it's funny, I I don't like Queen of England, okay? And just nothing personal, you know what I mean? But I can't understand when I go through the grocery store and I see all these magazines and I got the queen and I got the, the, the prince and I got the, all these people, you know, slam on the front of all these magazines. I'm thinking, don't they have any sense of history? Don't they know how those people treated us? Don't you know which one of your ancestors actually fought in the revolution? That's eye-opening. Go back and run, run it back that far. And I guarantee you, every one of you sitting here, Probably, if you go back far enough, that's what you'll find. My ancestors came here from France, Germany, England, Ireland, Scotland, from all over the place. Uh, I, and who knows? I mean, many of you could say the same and probably could add to that list. Well, we came together. as free men, because we wanted to be here. And people all over this nation, all over this planet, still want to come here and be a part of this. And I don't know how many of you have traveled outside of the bounds of this country, and I've done very little of it, but I've done enough of it to know there ain't no place on planet Earth like the United States of America. There's no place God is blessed like he has blessed us. And I love this country and what it stands for. Now, granted, I should say that on this day, right? But I have another reason too. Because I have some honest, I believe scriptural concerns about our nation that I want to share with you this morning. And I'm going to begin so by going back to 1776. Now we're all familiar with what happened in 1776, but I'm not going to talk about that. This is something that happened in England in 1776. Wasn't much uh, made of it at the time, I don't suppose, but a man by the name of Edward Gibbon... An English historian began to write what became a six-volume history of the Roman Empire. The title of his work was called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. I doubt if any of us uh, would want to sit down and read those six volumes. (laughs) It would take a long time. took him about three years to do it. But in this examination of the Roman Empire, he mentioned or dealt with, touched upon, five reasons for the fall of the Roman Empire. Five reasons for the fall of the Roman Empire. Now, I'm going to summarize them here, but it's not my summary. This summary comes from J. Vernon McGee in one of his books. So he is taking what Gibbons wrote about in in, in great detail and, and boiling it down. Reason number one. The undermining of the dignity and the sanctity of the home, which is the basis of human society. Reason number two. Higher and higher taxes, spending public money for free benefits for the populace. Number three, the mad craze for pleasure. Sports becoming more brutal, more immoral. Number four, the building of great armaments when the great enemy was within. The decay of individual responsibility. And then number five, the decay of religion. Into mere form, losing touch with life, and losing the power to guide the people. Now that's summarized for us by J. Vernon McGee through the Bible studies. You heard him probably on the radio. He used to be on there quite often. He's passed away now. But here's what I want you to do look at these five things. Let's be honest. Because you can check mark every one of them off for the United States of America in the year 2020. Every one of them—the undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home. Yep, check that one off. I'm not going to go into the details why. You you can fill in that in your own mind. Number two, higher and higher taxes for the benefits, free benefits for some. Yep, check that one off. The mad craze for pleasure. Now, uh, in Rome, that that went far beyond sports, but they were known for their gladiatorial. Contests and all that, but even uh, even so, I was just thinking. Well, I remember as a kid watching boxing. I was I was a, everybody was a boxing fan when I was a kid. Cassius Clay, later Muhammad Ali, Sonny Liston, Joe Frazier—you know all that—but there was very strict, gentlemanly rules associated with that. Now I'm not trying to be critical because I'm I'm, I'm a, di- a different generation. I'm just saying you from my perspective. I turned on the TV the other day and I got these mixed martial arts. Now I re- I recognize that the skill these guys got to have, but doggone, they knock somebody down, they jump on top, they start beating him. On, uh, uh, it just doesn't seem right to me. You know what I mean? I mean I'm I'm used to a guy who gets knocked down, you know, and the, the referee waves him off and sends him to a neutral corner. No, there he, he's on top of the guy pounding him like this. Um, maybe, maybe our sports are becoming more brutal, among other things. The building of great armaments when the great enemy is within. Yeah, that's what we're seeing right now. That's exactly what we're experiencing right now. No one dares take on the United States of America except... Internally. Then the decay of religion. Now, in in Roman times, that was not Christian religion, per se, at least not exclusively, for sure, at at that point. But uh, still the same situation stands today. We were, were and thought of ourselves as a Christian nation for a long time. Now we have presidents that tell us we're not. These are sobering things to consider if you love this land. But it is not something that should have been unexpected if you know the Scripture. For example, let's take Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Now, I'm not going to take time to read it, but Pastor Travis read us this verse, and the ones that follow, Sunday or Sunday, and I made the mention of the time. That's a description of America. But read the horrible things that are said that follow this verse, if you take the time to do it. These are indeed perilous times. So I've taken that as kind of a point to begin this morning. And I'm going to wrap our thoughts this morning around this. Perilous times are here for America. Perilous means dangerous, difficult times. They're here, they are upon us. Uh, We don't know when the Lord is coming. We don't know if it'll be really soon or a while or many years, but we are certainly every day drawing at least one more day closer to it. And it may be much sooner than any of us even think. Perilous times are here for America. That being the case, then this is what we all are asking ourselves. What do we need to do? What can we do? What should we do? It's it's discouraging. It is demoralizing to sit in our homes and we can't give out. And that's bad enough. But then we see all that's happening in this country. My wife and I went to some little... You know, I don't know. Uh, it's like a soda fountain up in Raleigh somewhere. We're getting desperate to find somewhere to go. We went there because they, they have a dessert we liked, and, and anyway, I think that was the day. Anyway, we're coming back, and just coming, i started just coming, to come down Capitol Boulevard. Capitol Boulevard blocked off. You can't go down Capitol Boulevard. Policemen are out there, and I said, "Oh, this might be a protest. Let's let's take a buy, uh, Let's take a back road." Sure enough, that's what was going on. The the road was blocked off. That was just the other day, a few days ago. It's discouraging times. The respect for law and order and for police. and Listen, I, I, I can't defend everything every policeman does, obviously. They should be held accountable as anybody else. But you see what happens when there are no... Law enforcement, just go out and see what happened in Seattle. Didn't take long, did it? So what can we do? You and me, I mean, we're just insignificant people. As far as the world is concerned, we just, you know, go about living our daily lives, trying to, you know, uh, feed our families and uh, make it financially and uh, absorb all the struggles with that has come with that of late. Uh... And we love this country, and we're worried about it. We're concerned about the state of our churches and our Christian people as well in all of this. So what do we do? Well, there's two things I want to put before you this morning. First thing we need to do is we need to view America through the lens of Scripture. View America through the lens of Scripture. Now, you've got a lot of writing to do on the back of your bulletins this morning, uh, but I, that's what we really need to emphasize. I mean, it's really not great homiletics, It's, uh, and I'm, I'm not a great topical preacher. I almost never do it, but this is just one of those times when we need to look at these things from a broader perspective and see the forest as much as the trees. View America through the lens of Scripture. That's the first thing we need to do. It's one thing to have our opinion about America. It's one thing to have our thoughts, and they may be right, they may not be. But can we confine ourselves to what the Scripture says and how it impacts the current situation? What is Scripture telling us? What are the things that we should be concerned about? Number one is the moral environment of America. The moral environment of America. I suggest to you that we are on a downward spiral. We've been spiraling for a while. The speed of the spiral as we spiral down is beginning to increase. Morally, I'm talking about. You know, I found a source this week that said that 60% of adults cannot have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. Now, men and women have been lying since the Garden of Eden, so that's not any uh, great revelation. But 60% can't get through a 10-minute conversation without lying. I, that wasn't the way it was in my day unless you were a kid. And, 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 and then, uh, you know, it was just because you weren't caught. And, and then when you got caught, you you paid the price. So we kind of learned pretty quickly the importance of being truthful. Most people, it is said, <laughs> on an average, lie four times every day, 1,460 times each year. Over 40, listen to this, 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites on the internet. You know how many porn sites there are on the internet? 42 million. That's incomprehensible. And they comprise 370 million pages. of families in the United States report that pornography is a problem in their home. Wow. But it gets worse. Since 1973, we have killed 61.8 million children prior to birth. That is just, it's just, you can't comprehend that. And you can't comprehend the the, the great contribution 61.8 million people could be making to this country today had they been born and brought up right, deprived of that opportunity, and and we as a nation deprived of them. The total number of violent crimes in America in 2018 was 1.21 million. There's uh, just a few little statistical reminders. But for the scriptural perspective, we need to go way back in time to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Where Solomon wrote, righteousness exalts a nation. The word exalt means he lifts it up. As the President Reagan used to talk about the United States as being the shining city on a hill. Well, that's lifted up. Somewhere, some place that others in this uh, world of ours appreciates and desires to be like. Righteousness exalts a nation to that point. But sin is a reproach to any people. And it is sin and the downward spiral morally that is affecting our nation today. The lack of righteousness will bring us down. Number two. The national connection. Talked about the moral environment. How about the national connection? What do I mean? Well, I'm talking about Genesis chapter 12 and verse three, where God, God said directly to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Up until this day, thank God for it, the United States has been a supporter and an ally of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is not a morally pure nation, it is not a religious nation. Most most modern day Uh, inhabitants of Israel, they say, are atheists. God promised to Abraham, and he has never rescinded it, he has promised to his descendants that he will bless those who bless them and curse them that curse them, regardless of their situation. Israel became a nation again in 1948. The United States has stood behind it ever since, down to the point that our recent pre- our, our present president, uh, President Trump, has recognized that the capital of Israel should be in their capital, Jerusalem, It has never been there before. It's been in Tel Aviv. And therefore, the American embassy is being moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. But I, uh, America is still under the blessing of this promise. But let me say this to you, it's hanging by a thread. Well, what makes you say that, Pastor? Because statistical analysis, uh, uh, you know, modern uh, polls and things have been conducted, and the one that's quoted most often says that 36%, only 36% of Americans support the moving of the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. So, is this going to continue? Well, it's hanging by a thread. Let's move on to the political situation. Political situation. More and more people in America today are embracing socialism. I've even heard Christians in years past say, well, you know, the early church was they were they were socialistic. No, they weren't. We just just say that once again. No, they were not. You read Acts chapter four, verses 32 to 25, and you'll find there that God's people voluntarily came and gave what they had to the apostles for distribution to those. That's not socialism. That's benevolence. That's giving. That's love. That's transformed lives in operation. Socialism, government puts a gun to you. Give me what you have because I want to give it to somebody else. There's a world of difference. Now, because modern day socialism, and a lot of people say, well, it wouldn't it be nice if, if everybody had the same? Well, the problem is, who's going to enforce that? Socialism automatically requires government control of money and finances and who owns what. So you have government control in order to have socialism. The only way you're going to have it. Otherwise, man's going to, you know, everybody's for himself, which is Capitalism. And that's not good if it's just everybody for himself. But you know, capitalism as a system is better in the sense that it encourages people to do, re, to do what they should, meet their responsibilities. Remember, Paul told the Thessalonians, second Thessalonians, he said, you know, those who don't want to work, those who refuse to work, they don't eat. You're going to bum off nobody else here in the church in Thessalonica. We have responsibilities before God. Socialism takes that away. Socialism enforces from the top down. Now, when that, when you realize that, when you understand that, then you understand the next step from socialism is totalitarianism. It's communism. That's where it goes. That's the only place it can go. Because at some point, you know, at some point, the socialistic powers that be can't agree, and someone strong enough comes along and says, here's what we're gonna do, and makes it, and everybody do it by force of his or own will and powers that he has. And that's exactly, listen to me, that's exactly what the Antichrist is gonna do midpoint of the tribulation period. Oh, he's gonna be fine working with that ten nation confederacy up till that po- midpoint, and then he finally says, guys, You better go online because I'm God and I'm setting up an idol of myself in the temple and everybody is going to fall down and worship me or I'm going to take your life. And the world falls down before him for the most part. That's where we're headed and we see that's where we're at and where we're going 43% of Americans say that socialism is a good thing for this country. 43%. I just can't hardly conceive of that, having grown up in this country. But that's what we're being told, and that's where we're at today. So we have the political situation. The only totalitarian, dictatorial, autocratic leadership situation that will ever work on this planet is when Jesus Christ reigns over this world. Your throne, O God, Psalm 45, 6, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Perfectly righteous kingdom. The moral environment, the national connection, the political situation. But one last thing, the prophetic obscurity. The prophetic obscurity. What do I mean by that? I mean this. America is undisputably the greatest power in the world today. And yet you cannot find it anywhere in end time prophecy. I don't necessarily believe that that means that it won't be there. But it does mean that it will not be exerting its power, policing this world in a large sense like we do today. That'll be gone. The Antichrist will have taken over and usurped that. Will we, 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 will we be part of, will the nation of, uh, will the United States of America be one of the, one of, or part of one of those ten nations that originally take control in the early stages of the tribulation period? Could well be. It also could well be that we have fallen from within, just like Gibbon wrote, it happened to Rome. We don't know. We just don't know. It's a big black nothing looking forward scripturally. Yet other nations are clearly identified. They are identified in the names that they had back in those days. Those names have changed in many instances, but uh, they can be identified. But America is nowhere to be found. You might say the handwriting is on the wall biblically speaking okay that's the lens of scripture on america now let's talk about the second thing that we should be doing viewing our under our uh, beliefs our our understanding of where we are at our uh, situation in general in america viewing that through the lens of scripture number 1 number 2 we need to make god our hope and stay You know, we have uh, in this nation, I think, for many, many years fallen prey to the temptation of looking to our nation, our government, our president, our Congress, our state, our government, whatever, to be everything for us. And as much as they try to be everything and protect everybody, they only make a mess in the end because they are sinful and we are afflicted by that sin nature through and through from top to bottom. It is God that should be and always must be our hope and stay. So uh, therefore, then for us, the, the commonly ordinary individual, what do we do? We tend to sit back and get discouraged because we think we can't do anything. And then if we perceive of some things that we could do, we get discouraged because, well, we try and we don't see much difference. I mean, let me just point you to some scriptural things that we're told to do in the scripture. Number one, pray. Pray. First Timothy two, one says, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, interception, and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. Verse 2. For kings and for all in authority that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. We should be actively praying for our leaders, state leaders, local leaders, national leaders all the time. Now, I think it certainly think it's appropriate to pray that our leaders come to know Christ if they don't. I think it's appropriate that we we pray that they do things that are uh, conducive to righteousness here in our nation all that. And but the scripture puts it this way. The reason we're told to do this is that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Because if God doesn't answer prayer, we won't be leading a quiet and peaceable life under any government authority anywhere on this planet at any time in history. And history confirms that. So our prayers make a huge difference. The prayers of God's people have made an inestimable difference since our founding in this country. It's why we have enjoyed the great blessings we have and it's still something we need to be doing. And then... We need to be discerning. Or you can put it this way. We need to be wise. Why? Because the satanic world system that afflicts this planet is based on lies and deception. I tell people all the time. I remind myself all the time. If you see it on TV, do not believe it. If you read it on the internet, do not believe it. If you hear it on the radio, do not believe it. Now, it might be true, it might not. But do not automatically accept it because, well, you know, uh, our media has always, you know, been, you know, telling us. No, they don't. Not anymore anyway. You know where the average America can't go 10 minutes? The media can't go one minute without lying to us. Because they're not, they're, they're not following the principle of informing the public. They are involved in shaping what we think. This is not because they fully understand or even comprehend the motivation behind it all. But it, the problem is, that is the world system. Satan is a liar. John 8, 44. Li- he is a liar from the beginning, and he's the father of lies. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He lied, and and, and Adam and Eve swallowed the lies. And we have got to be discerning. We cannot afford to take everything we hear and see and read and believe it. We have to think it through. Does it make sense? Compare it to the whole scope of what we can find out. Compare it most of all and, and filter it most of all through Scripture. Be discerning. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, John says, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he was sad, had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Description of the Antichrist, the first of the seven seal judgments opened by the Lamb. And the Antichrist has a bow, but no arrows in this depiction. He conquers the world by peace in the first three and a half years. And it doesn't stay peaceful. You see, but he's a liar because he serves the liar of liars. And we live in a world that is full of deception and lies. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, the Lord Jesus himself said, now the judgment of this world now is the judgment of this world. He's talking about his death on the cross. That's a judgment. He, He was punished for us. And it was also a watershed in the sense that those who do not believe in him, they, they do not get the benefit of what he did for us. Now is the judgment of this world. It was, the, it was the beginning of the end for Satan. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He's talking about Satan. Why do you think there's so much talk about a one world government? About it all the time, more and more and more and more. And we have people, fortunately, in this nation of ours that think we got to bow down to the concept of a worldwide government. It is satanic. It is where, prophetically, the world is going. We cannot stop it. It'll be the Antichrist system until the Lord comes back once he institutes it. And so Jesus said to his own disciples, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We're not to cause pain and problems and issues, but we're to be wise as serpents. So pray, be discerning, be faithful. This is the next one. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Sorry about that extra T in there. I was wavering at the moment when I was typing. I guess. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. What he promised, what he said, it is true and it will come to pass if it's prophecy, just like he said. And us is going to come. Nothing's going to change it. He is faithful. We his children ought to be faithful. We should hold fast to what we believe. That song this morning was perfect for that this point, Brother Todd. Then a forest. Be an encourager. Be an encourager. The next verse, by the way, in Hebrews, verse 24 and 25 says, And let us consider. Okay, let us hold fast to what we believe, number one. Now, let us consider one another, number two, to stir up love and good works. You know, it's hard enough to be loving and do good things. It's, a, it's another step in difficulty to stir other people up to get them to be loving and do good things. And my friends, it's come a day when we need to be stirring each other up. It's not enough just that we do what we need to be doing. We are living out in a day, a time in which it is so critical that we be stirring one another up to love and good works not forsaking, here's how you do it, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, exhorting one another. You say, well, pastor, we're having all kind of trouble with that assembling thing right now. I, I understand. And and not everybody, because of their their health uh, situation and their uh, risk situation, should be assembling. But everybody should be together here worshiping, either it personally, physically present or online or or out there in, in the front yard or the parking lot. It's important that we bind together. It's important that we worship together. And it's important that we somehow find a way to exhort one another in these days when we're told to stay away from one another. By the way, did you see where now out in California uh governor said churches are not allowed to sing? I don't think our governor is that stupid. I'm sorry, I should said it that way. (laughs) I was referring to the stupidity of California. I, I don't I don't think our governor would do this. But if he were, I can't obey that. I'm sorry. I cannot stop praising my father and my savior. Put me in jail if you want. If everybody else wants to stay home and not sing, that's okay. I'll be here singing glory be to God anyway. And (laughs) and that's okay because I don't mind my singing. Other people do, but I don't. We need in these extraordinary times to be encouraging one another. So I've just I, I, I thought about this for a little while this morning. It's been on my mind. What what can we do? What can we do to better connect? And you're, I know we're doing a lot of great things, and we have and a lot of efforts made. But I'm going to ask this for you seated here, for you on the live stream, for you outside in your cars. I'm asking every person in Fellowship Baptist Church to volunteer to do something. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to volunteer to get on the telephone and call three people, three people in our church, three other people in our church every week for the next four weeks. And I need to know who you are and and who's volunteering. I don't need to know, but I want to try to make sure that everybody gets phone calls. So I don't want... 40 people calling the same three people. You know what I mean? So if you will get on Facebook right now and, and you can put a comment and say, yes, he, my name is so and so. I, and I will call three people each week for the next four weeks. Well, let me know right there or send me an email. Let me know when the uh, churches are. I, I just want a list of names so I can come back to you and say, here's who I want you to call. I think that was Chris volunteering in the back in the booth. Oh, thank you, Chris. It doesn't matter you say well I, what do I say I don't care what you say just call somebody and have a conversation people just need to hear a voice on the end of the line you need someone to ask them how are you doing you need somebody to encourage them you know and and, and someone to talk about the scripture with the Lord with them for a moment two minutes three minutes five minutes and it will change their day and then that person hopefully will be a volunteer too and they're going to move on and they're going to call three people and another three We need to connect and to consolidate our commitment to one another. So I'm asking you to do this. And then finally, be expectant. The last phrase in Hebrews 10.25, And so much the more as we see the day approaching. See, that's what's happening. It may be a long time yet. It may be tomorrow. I don't know. But the day's approaching, and we can see it approaching. So as we see the day approaching, let us be all the more faithful, all the more encouraging, all the more expectant until that day comes. Now, in conclusion, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn. It's not going to be on screen. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. We talked about encouraging one another. This goes beyond one another in the church. This impacts the world we live. Matthew chapter six, verses thirteen and fourteen. Oh, I can't believe I did that. I give you the wrong the wrong chapter. Hang on just a minute. We will find it. It's chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Once you lose your flavor, your salt's worthless. You know how salt loses its flavor? It becomes contaminated with other elements. If we allow ourselves to be so contaminated with the world, we can lose our saltiness. If we lose our flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Number two, verse 14, you are the light of the world. Not only are you the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I know I went beyond verse 14, but I couldn't stop. Verses 13 to 16. Here's what I want to say to you. Whether we realize it or not, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus has proclaimed that. What's he talking about? He's talking about our value to this world. Salt was valuable in the day Jesus talked. Roman soldiers were paid in salt, oftentimes, rather than money. Back in the Civil War days here in North Carolina, the, the one thing that they could not find a replacement for from all the shortages of food, you know what it was? Salt. Salt became very valuable. Light also is absolutely essential. Light's essential to light. Excuse me, light is essential to life, L-I-F-E. Without light, without our sun, we, we have no life. So Jesus is simply using two metaphors here to say, we as God's people are the most valuable commodity in the world. Now our value may not be realized more than here locally, but it doesn't change the fact we are the most valuable commodity in the world. So do these things that we talked about here. To maintain our hope and stay in God. That's what we need to do today, tomorrow, the next day, every day. Don't become so discouraged you lose sight of that.